Well, if you've been here at all the last few weeks or months, you know the pastor's been speaking a lot about faith. So I wanted to continue that this morning. And I want to start with something he said just last week. If you were here towards the end of the message, he, um, well, let's just say he started to get a little wound up about what he was talking about. And he started talking about how the people think the sky's falling. And his statement he made was the sky's not falling, he said, because of the resurrection. It's not falling. It may seem like it, but the sky's not falling. And you know, that really hit me kind of hard, and I really needed to hear that. Because if I'm honest with you, lately I've kind of been stuck in a the sky is falling mentality. I haven't really been um, thinking that much about how the resurrection overcomes those things. I've been stuck in that sky is falling thing. I think a lot of it has to do, for me personally anyway, with this election cycle. I'm, I'm kind of tired of it already. We've got four months to go yet. We've got two conventions to get through. We've got probably four or five debates to get through before we actually get to vote. Um, it's just getting to be a bit much. I don't know what your thinking is, and I'm probably not going to tell you mine, but a lot of people have the opinion that these are two of the worst candidates we've ever had to pick from in our history. Maybe that's right. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, both sides... Somebody's lying, I will say that. Because both sides say if the other one's elected, the country as we know it will cease to exist. In four years, it's going to be completely gone. Now, that's nothing new. People have been saying that for years. You go all the way back to the 1800s when Jefferson was running for president. The people in the party opposite him, the Federalists, said if Jefferson was elected, the, the uh, republic was going to fall apart, states were going to secede, and, and it would cease to exist. The Republicans thought that if a Federalist was elected, that they would install a monarchy like England had and just destroy the Constitution. So this is nothing new, the things they're saying. But it is getting to be just a bit much for me. People don't even seem to want to vote. I mean, is anybody, if you're excited about this election, would you jump up and yell hallelujah right now? Okay, so I'm not alone here, apparently. A lot of people don't even want to vote. Now, I, I personally, again, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I can't take it that far. Um, I know it's kind of an old-fashioned thought, but for me, uh, my belief is that too many people, men and women, paid too great a price Number one, to give us things like the right to vote, but also to preserve the right for us to vote. So I can't just say, I'm not going to go vote. Okay, so I, I will go vote. I'm not sure what I'll do yet, but I will go vote. But I had to kind of shake myself out of that, you know. He was speaking to me. That's kind of exactly how I've been thinking. So I was really glad to hear that. And I'm hoping that, you know, for some of the rest of you, something in these series on faith has, has stood out and really maybe shook you, maybe caused you to think, maybe caused your faith to increase. That's a good thing. Now, one other thing he'd mentioned in this series, I got looking back in my notes, and I found in June where he was talking about, um, one of his messages was about different attitudes that are contrary to faith. And one of the things he mentioned was the, uh, the story in Numbers where the children of Israel had come right to the border of the land of Canaan. They were ready to go and possess it. But he said they lost their inheritance. He lost their possession because of what he called a grasshopper attitude. We'll read it here in a bit. But if you remember, they, um, as they went and scouted out the land, they come back with a report and they compared themselves, they compared themselves as grasshoppers to the people that are in the land. And it caused them from going in. So I want to I wanna start with that a little bit this morning and, and explore that a little bit, this grasshopper attitude. 
And I want to use that as the basis for the thought. And the, and the thought I want you to remember this morning is, and we're talking about faith, but the thought I want you to get this morning is look beyond what you can see. Okay, there is a certain thing that physically we can see going on in the world, but faith, in faith we need to go beyond what we see and see what's really going on behind the scenes. And that's what we want to do this morning. So our story begins in Numbers chapter 13. I'll just, I'm going to jump around here a little bit so you don't have to try following along if you don't want to. But in uh, verse 17 in Numbers 13, it says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go northward through the, I believe it's Negev, into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Enter the land boldly and bring back samples of the crops you see. So it says they went up and explored the land. Verse 25, it says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land you sent us to see, and it is indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is some of the fruit as proof. Now this starts out, everyone's probably pretty pumped up, pretty positive about this report. But then they go on to say, but the people living there are powerful, and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We also saw the descendants of Anak who are living there. And now this report begins to discourage the people. Now Caleb tries to step up. Remember there were 12 spies, 10 brought a bad report, 2 brought a good report. Caleb was one of the ones that brought the good report. He sees what's happening here, I think, and he tried to step up and interject his own opinion which was one of faith, it says Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him answered, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. The land we explored will swallow up any who go to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. We felt like grasshoppers next to them, and that's what we looked like to them. Chapter 14, all the people began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Why? Because of ten guys with a lousy report. Their voices rose in a great chorus of complaint against Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they wailed. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as slaves. Let's get out of here and return to Egypt. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, Caleb tried to bring a good report. At this point, Joshua always also tried to express a good report, to express a report of faith to him. It says, Caleb and Joshua said to the community of Israel, the land we explored is a wonderful land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What a wonderful report that is. He saw the same things the other tenants seen, but he brought a good report, a report of faith. 
Now Moses sends these spies out in verse 18 through 20. He gives them some very specific instructions on what to look for. He tells them to see what the land is like, see what the soil's like, see if there's trees or not, see what the cities are like, if they're fortified, if they're unprotected, see what the people are like, how many people are there. This was purely a reconnaissance mission. This was never meant to be a mission where 12 guys went and explored the land and then came back and based on their report, they decided whether or not they were going to go take that land and go possess the land. It was never intended to be that. It was purely reconnaissance. Moses wasn't looking for opinions on whether or not they could drive out the inhabitants and possess it. He just wanted the facts about what the land was like. Possession of the land was never in question. It was never in doubt. If you look at the first verse of chapter 13, it says, The Lord now said to Moses, Send men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to Israel. You see, possession was never in doubt. If they'd have just heard that word and kept that in their minds, I am going to give this to you, they maybe wouldn't have come back with such a fearful report. Maybe they'd have been, maybe there'd have been 12, like Joshua and Caleb, instead of just two. But they lost track of that. In verse 25 through 28, they begin to bring the report. As I said, the first part of the report was a wonderful report. It was truthful about the goodness of the land. But that good report and the goodness of the land and all the wonderful things they saw was offset in their eyes by the powerful people that lived there. It was offset by fear as their mind began to play scenarios and things that could happen if they went up to try and possess the land. That wonderful report was offset. Their fortified cities, their size, the numbers of the people caused fear. They only focused on what they could see. They didn't look beyond what they could see in faith believing that God would give them the land. Caleb tries to encourage them. It doesn't work. They just go on in verse 31 through 33 with their complaining, saying how they can't do it. This is impossible task. There's no way we can pull this off. The promised land that they were before was a good land. It was a gracious gift from God. By speaking bad things about it, the faithless spies were actually speaking evil about the Lord. They're basically saying, Lord, I don't believe you can give us this land. I don't believe you can drive our enemies out of this land. I don't believe that you can cause us to go up and possess it. They were actually speaking evil about the Lord. They may not have realized it as such, but that's what they were doing. Because they were saying, I don't believe you can take us safely into this land. They were saying he wasn't able to give it to them. They had the grasshopper attitude. They went to some pretty extreme exaggeration even to try and make their point. Did you ever... um, shall we say, stretch the truth just a little bit to try and get someone to see your way of thinking? That's kind of what they were doing here. Obviously, they weren't compared to, these guys might have been half again as big of them as they were, but they weren't like grasshoppers compared to them. You know what I mean? They weren't that big. But that's what they saw. They were exaggerating. They were trying to get people on their side. This was, Mom, I don't think I can go to school today because my stomach hurts, only with adults exactly what this was. Anybody ever try that one? (laughs) Did it work for you? Probably not very good. In chapter 14, verse 1 and 3, now this kind of hurts me to realize this, but it said, their voices rose in a great chorus of complaint against Moses and Aaron. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as slaves. Did the women and children go into battle? No. Who went into battle? The men. Guys, the girls get a pass, I think, today on this one. It was the men 
who were complaining about having to go up to battle. Our wives and little ones will be carried off as slaves. Who had wives and little ones? The men. Got to hang our heads a little bit, I guess, today, guys. It was the men that were caused. It was ten men that brought back an evil report. It was ten men that caused an entire nation, if you will, to believe that bad report and begin to speak against the Lord, begin to speak evil of him. This exploration of the land was meant to purely be a formality, if you will, a precursor to them going in and possessing the land. And yet, because of a bad report, because of no faith, because of not being able to look beyond what they can see, the, the exploration wound up being the turning point of an entire generation's experience. And it turned the wrong way. This was not what God intended for his children to experience 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He intended to take them to the border of land in Canaan. He intended to drive the enemy out, and he intended to give them their possession and their inheritance. But because of the report and because of the lack of faith, it was not meant to be. They went from the border of the land of Canaan to 40 years wandering in the wilderness, waiting for everyone 20 years and older to pass on, except for Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that got to go in. One bad report... Ten guys who couldn't look beyond what they saw changed the destiny of an entire nation and an entire generation. Now this was a generation that witnessed ten plagues come upon Egypt, each one intense and severe and horrible in its own right, and they were spared from every one of them. This was a generation that in faith applied lamb's blood to the posts of their door and over the top of the door, and when the angel of death came, they were spared. He passed over their house. This was a generation that witnessed the Red Sea part so they could cross, Then they saw it come crashing together and destroy the Egyptian army. It was a generation that was led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was a generation that was fed, that was watered, that was clothed, that was provided for. It was a generation that was brought to the brink of their inheritance only to have it snatched away by a bad report, by a lack of faith, by a lack of spiritual sight. How tragic is that? Very tragic. Their own faithless confession became their own death sentence. Do you realize that? In verse 14, they said, We wish he had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. We wish we had died in the wilderness, they said. Careful what you wish for, because you might get it. They got exactly what they wished for. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years till every one of them was gone. Now, fortunately... Yes, they had a grasshopper attitude. Yes, they didn't go in and possess their inheritance. Yes, it's a tragic story. Fortunately, there's another side of this story, though. It doesn't end there. There's another side that we can cling to. We can use this as an example, but we can be as Joshua and Caleb were in our faith. We can be as they were in their faith. They saw the same plagues in Egypt that the other ten spies had seen. They saw the same pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. They saw the same Red Sea part and come back together. They ate the same manna. They drank the same water. They were provided for in the same way. They went into the land with the other ten. They saw the same fortified cities. They saw the same giants. And yet they come back with a totally different perspective. Faith will change your perspective about things. The natural eye, natural man will look at a situation one way, but faith will cause you to look at it a different way. Faith will change your perspective about it. They had a faith for whatever reason, I don't know, but Joshua and Caleb had a faith that the other ten did not have. They had the ability to look beyond what they could see. As we read in Numbers, Caleb's word, in the midst of a bad report, Caleb's report is that let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. Joshua's report 
The land we explored is wonderful. If the Lord has pleased us, he will bring us safely into the land and giving, give it to us. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. He spoke of the people of the land, these giants. He said, they're helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Totally different attitude, totally different perspective. They saw the land. They knew that the Lord would give the land to them. Didn't matter what the circumstances were. This is what they had settled in their own hearts. They saw the land. They knew the Lord was going to give them the land. And they wanted it. Let's go at once and take the land. That's faith. Now, this wasn't blind faith. People talk about faith being blind or blind faith. This wasn't a blind faith. As I said, they saw the same things that the other spies did. Faith is not blind. Faith does not deny the reality of difficulties. Faith declares the power of God in the face of difficulties. That's the difference. The same difficulties exist, but faith sees them differently. Faith declares the power of God. Faith's confession will ultimately bring victory to the believer. Now, for their confession of faith, Joshua and Caleb, they still had to wait 40 years to obtain that promise, to get their inheritance, to go into the land. They had to wait till those other spies and everyone else who were 20 years old had passed on. So they had to wait 40 years in spite of a positive confession. They had to wait 40 years to see that confession of faith realized. But it was realized. Faith will bring you into your land. It'll bring you into your inheritance. It'll bring you into your possession. So let's not have any grasshopper attitudes, all right? Now let's talk a little bit about building faith. Faith is not something, if you've walked any time at all, you've learned by now, faith is not something that you magically wake up with one morning and all of a sudden you have supernatural, powerful faith. It doesn't work that way. Faith has to be nurtured. It has to be strengthened. It has to be encouraged. Faith is a work in progress in our lives. Everyone's faith is on a different level. Even in this room, there are several different levels of faith. Your faith may be strong one day and something might happen that... Maybe your faith isn't quite so strong the next day. Maybe your faith becomes a little bit weak. Maybe your faith struggles sometimes. We all have different levels of faith. If you drive around the country right now and you look at all the different fields of corn, you're going to see a lot of different um, stages of where the corn is at. You might see some. I doubt if any's tasseled already. But in a few more weeks, you drive around. Some of the corn's going to be tasseled. It's going to have the silks hanging out already to catch the the things that drop off of the tassel so it can pollinate the ear and the ear can grow. Some of it's not going to be tasseled. Some of it, if it's not in such good land, might be barely knee-high. Some of it, if it's in sandy soil, might be almost dried up by now. There's different levels and different stages of the corn's development, but it's still all corn. Okay, same with faith. Some faith is strong, some faith is weak, some faith is struggling, but it's still faith. Just because someone's faith is weak or someone's faith is struggling, we can't discount their faith. Okay, at that point, a person needs to be encouraged in their faith. And every one of us here today has faith. Don't ever doubt that you have faith or you don't have faith. You do have faith. It may seem like, not seem like it sometimes. It may not be as strong as you would like it to be. Your faith might be struggling. Your faith might be bruised and battered, but it's still faith. I think one of the most honest and sincere statements in the whole Bible concerning faith was by the man who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. Over in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, this man brought his son to Jesus. He was demon-possessed. The disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus said to him, he said, help me if you can. Help us if you can. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? He said, anything is possible if a person believes. And the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
Basically, he was saying, help me not to doubt. And I think that's such an honest statement. He didn't stand there, you know, with pride and arrogance. He didn't want to be embarrassed and claim that he had a faith that he didn't. But in humility and sincerity, he said, I believe. But, you know, I got to admit, maybe my faith's not quite where it needs to be. Help my unbelief. And I think it's interesting. And I think that kind of faith... I believe it's clear on this picture here, and I think it's an example we need to do. I believe Jesus nurtured this man's faith. I believe he tried to encourage his faith and help him to grow in his faith. Because if you look just before here, the man said, I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you until you believe? Okay, now in this case, apparently... The disciples had been with Jesus, walked with him, talked with him. They'd heard his teachings. They'd seen the miracles. I think, given the way this is worded, of the disciples, Jesus, it was almost maybe like a little bit of a scolding, I think. It seems like he expected just a little bit more out of them by this point, that their development should have been a little bit farther along than it was because with his wording, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? But then when this man comes, See, this man didn't have the benefit that the disciples had. He wasn't around Jesus every day, more than likely. He was probably trying to work on his faith all by himself. He didn't have the benefit of seeing all the miracles, of hearing every word come out of Jesus' mouth to help build his faith. He says, have mercy on us and help us. Do something if you can. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? And I don't believe Jesus, in this case to this man, or as he just got done maybe scolding his disciples a little bit, I don't believe with this man that he just growled at him, what do you mean if I can? I think maybe he reached out and just lovingly put a hand on his shoulder and just, brother, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if you believe. I think in this case he tried to encourage this man's fragile faith. That's what we need to do. If we see someone with a fragile faith, we need to encourage it. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the man said, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. I think that's just such a wonderful, humble confession of this person. I believe, but help my unbelief. We need to build our own faith, but we also need to assist others in building their faith. We need to encourage people's faith. This was a faith that can grow. This man's faith could grow because it was humble and it was honest. It wasn't arrogant. It wasn't proud. It was humble and honest. That's the kind of faith that can grow. We need to build faith in our walk with the Lord because faith is necessary to please God. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, he's saying nothing can be known or received from God unless we first believe in his existence and believe that God has revealed himself in his word. Do you realize that one day we're not going to need faith anymore? What do we need faith for? To believe for that which we do not currently possess. One day we're not going to need faith because we are going to come in possession of everything we ever believed for. Right now we still need it. Those who've gone before us, they don't need faith anymore. You think our loved ones who are in heaven right now are hoping for eternal life? Are hoping for bodies that aren't sick? Are hoping for all the things that they hoped for and had faith for in this life? No, they're in possession of those things. They don't need faith. We still need faith here. We need hope in this life because if you look around you, all you see is despair. We still need hope. They don't need hope because they're in possession. We need hope because despair is all around us. We still need love because the world is full of hate. We still need to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ because the world is still full of sin. 
And we still need faith because the world is gripped by unbelief. Faith is the foundation for your entire Christian walk. How did you come to Christ and ask for forgiveness of sins? Boldly, arrogantly, proudly, I deserve this mentality? No, you came in faith. We had to believe in order to ask and accept that and receive it from the Lord. It was right there for everybody, but we had to have faith when we asked for forgiveness, when we asked Him to come into our heart. Faith is to be our way of life. Romans 1, 16, 17, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Faith is to be our way of life. Faith is to trust in God. Faith is to have confidence in him and his word. Faith is to believe what he said. Faith is to believe that he will perform what he's promised. This is the kind of faith that Abraham exhibited and displayed. If we look over in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, it says, When God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God had also said, Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew that he was too old to be a father at the age of 100, and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteousness. Now there's lessons, I think, in Abraham's faith here for all of us. Let's look at how he expressed his faith. First of all, he heard the word. God came and spoke to him, promised he would be a father of many many nations. How did Abraham respond to that? It says, the Bible says, Abraham believed him. When God spoke a word, Abraham believed him. He didn't look at the circumstances around him like the ten spies did. He just simply believed God. Actually, he did look at him, but he looked at him, as I said, with a different perspective, with a faith perspective. He looked beyond what he could see. Abraham placed his hope in the future according to that word. God said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. Now, Abraham wasn't some idiot with an IQ of 20 that the Lord could just slip anything by him he wanted to, okay? Abraham was an intelligent man. He knew what nature said about this, but he still believed God. Abraham refused to accept natural evidence that can contradict that word. He said Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew, Abraham knew, that he was too old to be a father at the age of 100 and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have children. 100 years old. He knew what, he knew physically what he was able to do and what he wasn't. You know, I, I don't, I don't think I could do this at age 56 if God come to me and said, you're going to be a father again. I, I think I'd laugh like Sarah. First I'd cry, but then I would laugh like Sarah. I, I don't. It's the most wonderful experience there is, but I don't want to go back there at this age, okay? But Abraham knew what the circumstances were. He knew what existed. Abraham knew with his intelligence and in his mind, he knew that what God was saying was physically impossible to happen. What Abraham knew didn't line up with what God had said, though. That's the difference. Abraham knew all these things. He knew it was impossible. How many of you found out that what God says takes precedence over what you know? It does. What God says takes precedence over what we knew. Abraham knew all these things, and yet he still believed. His faith did not weaken. He didn't waver in his commitment to the word. 
In verse 20, it says Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, not only did he not waver, the Bible says his faith grew stronger because he believed God's word. Abraham rejoiced in the fulfillment of the word and brought glory to God. It says because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. He was absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything. In spite of the physical circumstances, in spite of what had never happened before in 100 years of life, he knew that God was able to bring this to pass because God had said so. Now, how many of you will raise your hand and say your face on a level as Abraham? Probably none of us. That's not something to be in, discouraged about. It's something to be encouraged by. Okay, don't be discouraged because your faith, remember last week, Pastor talked about measuring himself up to other people and now he kind of handpicked the ones he'd measure up to and then God said, okay, now let's compare you to me. Okay, if you look at someone else's faith and you see a faith that you want to emulate, you see a faith that you want yours to be like, don't be discouraged because your faith is not at that level. Okay, be encouraged because according to the word, it's possible for your faith to attain that level. And it's possible for you to get to that level in your walk with the Lord. So don't be discouraged by someone's great faith. Be encouraged by it if you're not there yet. So how do we build our faith? I think the first thing we do, first thing we have to do, if you don't really believe something, it's hard to put everything you own into it, isn't it? If you don't really believe, would you take all your money and invest it in one stock that you didn't have absolutely faith in and weren't absolutely certain that that was going to give you a great return? No, it's hard to invest in something that you don't really believe in. If we're going to build great faith, the first thing we have to do is settle in our hearts that God's word is true. Now, maybe that's not an issue for anyone. I hope it isn't. But if it is, we have to settle in our hearts that God's word is true. James 1.6, the previous verse talks about asking God for wisdom. But verse 6 says, but when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. Basically, don't ask if you're not going to believe it. Don't ask if you don't expect it. If you're going to ask him for something, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We don't build faith by wavering back and forth in what we believe. Circumstances, moods, emotions can't dictate what we believe. Our faith has to be grounded. What we believe has to be grounded in the word of God. Once we decide what we believe, hang on to it. Fight for it for all your worth. Jude 3 says contend for the faith. Why do we have to contend for the faith? We have to contend for the faith because there's an enemy out there who wants to try and pry it away from you. He wants to steal it from you. A thief who's just waiting for a moment of weakness so he can try and pry it from your grasp. Once you've settled in your heart that the word of God is true, go ahead and remind yourself of it once in a while. Okay? Everybody in here believes that Jesus Christ rose up victorious from the death and the grave, right? It's okay once in a while to remind yourself of that. Begin to sing, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. All of creation testifies. This life inside me cries. I know my Redeemer lives. Stir that up. My faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of man. It stands in the power of God. It doesn't rise and fall when my back's against the wall. My faith stands in the power of God. Remind yourself what your faith is rooted in, what your faith is based in. How about God will make a way? where there seems to be no way. He works in ways I may not see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. Amen? He'll make a way. Remind yourself 
of what God will do, of what God has promised. Build your faith that way. Build your faith by putting yourself in a place of hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This one's real complicated. So listen close, read your Bible. Okay, that's how you put yourself in a place of hearing the word of God. Read your Bible, develop a passion for the word. Build your faith by being hearers and doers of the word. In Luke 8.15, it says, The good soil represents honest, good-hearted people who hear God's message, cling to it, and steadily produce a huge harvest. There is nothing wrong with clinging to your faith. Okay, I think the word cling gets a bad rep. When we think of someone clinging to something, we look at them maybe in terms of desperation. Like they're just trying to hang on, like they have nothing else going for them, and they're just trying to hang on for that last second, that last moment. They're doing everything again just to hang on. There's nothing wrong with clinging to your faith. Clinging is not a bad thing. I will cling to the old rugged cross. We sing that all the time. Cling to it. There's nothing wrong with digging in. There's nothing wrong with hanging on when your faith is threatened, when someone or something is trying to rip it away from you. doesn't make you desperate. It makes you determined makes you determined, means you purposed in your heart, you're going to go on, you're going to go forward. You're not going to give up your faith. You're going to contend for it. You're going to fight for it. You are not, by clinging to your faith, you are not, as our president once said, bitter people clinging to religion. Okay? You are not clinging to something that Governor Ventura referred to once as a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people. You're clinging to something eternal. You're clinging for something that's going to assist you along this walk of life. You're clinging to something eternal. Cling to it. Don't give it up. You have a hold of something that's going to produce eternal benefits. Hear the word and do the word. Don't wait for greater faith to exercise the faith you have. In the book of Matthew chapter 14, the disciples were out in the boat and Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and walk to you. And the Lord said, all right, come. Peter stepped out on the water in faith, and begin to walk towards Jesus. He had faith to do that. Now, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to only see what was around him and begin to see the storm and the waves, he began to sink. Okay, He had a faith, but his faith wasn't great enough at that point to complete the task because he took his eyes off the source of his faith. Now, I believe his faith grew from this experience, but we can't wait for greater faith to exercise the faith we have. We need to avoid natural reasonings and philosophies of man that speak contrary to the revealed word of God. If it's not in line with the word of God, don't listen to it. Don't put stock in it. Reject it. It's got to line up with the word of God. Man's knowledge cannot compete with God's word. 1 Timothy 6.20 Paul said, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you, with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. He said to avoid that. He said to reject it. What man considers wisdom, God calls foolishness. Man will distort the truth and deny it. Colossians 2.8 says, don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. Don't give any place to it. Don't give thought to it. Man will change the truth to suit his wants and his needs. Romans 1.25 says, instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. Many people today deliberately choose lies over the truth. 
We can't do that. We can't give place to that in our walk of faith. If we want our faith to grow, if we want our faith to expand, we can't. If we want that Abraham kind of faith, then we can't give place to these kind of things. We need to build our faith with proper confession. Speak your faith. Put your faith into action. I know I'm partial and maybe a little prejudiced, but I think one of the greatest confessions of faith I ever heard was from my dad. One time, he, among his assortment of health problems that he experienced in the later years of his life, one time when he went for a physical, he had a routine chest x-ray, and they come out and told him that on the chest ray, they discovered a spot on one of his lungs. Now, you and I both know what the first thing we think is if we hear spot on our lung. Okay, the first, whether it's so or not, the first thing in pop in our head is cancer. And dad was no different from anybody else. That's what he thought about. That's what he was concerned about. Well, between the x-ray that showed he had a spot in his lung and the test to determine what the spot was, we had a service where the opportunity was given for people to come up with prayer. And dad come up for prayer Stood right here like he always did. He always sat in the back there by Wayne. So he'd just come scooting right up this aisle here, and he'd stand right here And, and when he'd ask for prayer. And pastor got down to him, and he, dad explained to him what the situation was. Spot on the lung, could be cancer, going to go have a test and see what it is. But then he said something. After that, before pastor prayed, he quoted the book of Job in Job thirteen fifteen, And he said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And I thought, what a statement of faith that is. You know, think about that. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Now, he, as I said, he was like any other man. He hoped it wasn't cancer. If it was cancer, he hoped to be healed from it. But yet, even if this was not to be, and if this thing took his life, he was confessing in that moment that he was still going to trust God, even unto death. What a confession. I think that's one of the greatest statements of faith we can utter. Lord, I trust you. I don't believe the greatest statement of faith is I believe the Lord's going to heal me. I believe the Lord's going to deliver me. I believe he's going to move for me on my behalf in this situation. I think the greatest statement of faith is, Lord, I trust you. Now, let me be clear. If you need healing, you need to pray for healing, and you need to let your faith confess that you're going to be healed. If you need the Lord to move on your behalf, you need to pray that and confess that. If you need deliverance from a situation, you need to pray that and confess that. But at the end of the day, to look at that situation and realize that it might not work out the way you want it to, and to be able to say, Lord, I trust you, I think is the greatest statement of faith we can make. Do you believe that? Amen. I do. Not my way, but his way. Not my will, but your way, is what we need to say. Not my will, but your will, I mean. So, let's look, just some examples of faith. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. I mean, there's many here. I just want to highlight a few. In verse 4, it says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. God accepted Abel's offering to show he was a righteous man. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us because of his faith. Faith does not die with you. Your faith doesn't die with you. Your faith can speak to generations to come. It said Abel's faith still speaks. He still speaks to us of his faith. In verse 5, it says, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Suddenly he disappeared because God took him. But before he was taken up, he was approved as pleasing to God. 
In verse 7, it was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about something that had never happened before. Noah hadn't ever seen this before. He didn't even really know what God was talking about. It was by faith he condemned the rest of the world and was made right in God's sight. Verse 17 says it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Verse 22, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, confidently spoke of God bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was so sure of it, he commanded them to carry his bones with him when he left. I might be dead, I might be gone, but this is going to happen, and I'm going with you. He told him to take his bones with him when he left. He was so sure of it. In verse 23, it says, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid of what the king might do. Now, some might say that they did this out of fear, just trying to protect their child, a loving mother desperately trying to save her son, but that's not it. It was because of faith that she did what she did. Verse 24, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to that great reward that God would give him. Moses looked past what he could see. Now, at that time in his position and in Egypt, he saw a lot. He saw a lot of things that most people would have given probably give their own life for, to possess the things that he had available to him and the things he could possess. But he looked beyond that. He looked beyond what he could see and he saw something greater. And he decided, even though I have to give up these pleasures and suffer now, that's what I want. That thing out there is in the distance is so much greater and so much better than any of these treasures could be. I want that. And I'm going to work towards that. Moses was looking ahead. So as it told us here, faith led Noah to build an ark in the middle of nowhere where there'd never been a flood. What a dummy. But you know, when the flood came, that dummy was safe. Everyone else perished, but him and his family were safe. Faith led the Israelites to smear lamb's blood on their doorposts. How many of the wives you suppose were thrilled with that? Can I tell you some of the things my wife would tell me if she'd come home and there was blood on top of the door on both sides? It wouldn't be pretty. How stupid can you get smearing blood all over the post of your door? But when the angel of death came, the Bible says he passed by. He passed by because of the blood. Our faith caused death to pass by us too because of the blood of Jesus, because of faith. Faith led a nation to march around the city's walls 13 times. At the 13th time, they shouted like a bunch of idiots. But when they shouted... The walls come tumbling down. They went in, destroyed the city, took possession of everything that was in there. Faith led a man to dip his diseased body in a dirty river seven times. What a fool. But the seventh time he come up healed. He come up whole because of his faith. Faith might cause you to do some crazy things. The application of your faith might cause you to be ridiculed, mocked, laughed at, avoided. But it's also going to cause you one day to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. Let's really, I don't know if he's going to continue on faith when he's, when he's uh, fully recovered or not, but, you know, obviously it's very important to him to talk about it as long as he's been talking about it. 
And I know it's a pretty basic concept, but you know the things, the things that are going on in the world now and going on around us, I think it's the things we need to hear, just basic principles of our walk with the Lord. I don't think any of you need to come here this morning or any morning and maybe hear a message about the Tabernacle of Moses and the shoe bread and the lampstands and the candlesticks. Now, that's, it's in the Bible, so it's important, and those are wonderful things. And I'm really glad there's men who can read that and study it and decipher it and write books about it and teach about it. All I'm saying is, I'm not discounting that, I'm just saying right now with the things we face, the things this country face, the things we face in our personal lives, I think simple, basic truths like faith, like love, like hope, like the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified are the things we need to hear and the things we need. You know, the guys at work probably don't care about Tabernacle of Moses or Tabernacle of David or that stuff. Maybe at some point they will and want to know about it. But right now they need to hear, you know, about a God who can save them, about a Savior who went to the cross to die for their sins. That's what the world needs. I think that's, you know, what we need to build our walk and to build our faith. So let's really <clears throat> just kind of to maybe to honor Pastor for speaking this to us. Like I said, obviously it's on his heart or he wouldn't spend two, three months on it. Let's really work on building our faith. And not just our faith. Let's reach out and work to build other people's faith. Those people around us. You know, if... if you may be with a person, you may be mentoring a person, their faith might not be on the level that yours at, yours is at. And some of the statements they make, you know, in our mind, if we just think with our own mind and not think with eyes of faith, some statements a person make sometimes can seem, well, that's kind of childish or that's kind of immature, you know, like they're speaking as a child. Don't take that attitude with them, okay? I know you won't. But I'm just saying, to them, it's not childish and it's not immature. To them, it's where they're at in their faith. And I think rather than ridicule or rather than, well, really, everybody knows that. When you hear a statement of faith from a person like that, encourage them in their faith. Build their faith. Like Jesus said to that man, I, I, believe, with all my, I believe he just reached out and just looked in his eyes and said, what do you mean if I can't? You know, anything's possible if you believe. Encourage their faith. Build their faith. Let's be faith builders. We got BBS coming up. Man, what an opportunity to build faith. I mean, those kids are on a childlike level because they're children. But what an opportunity to build their faith and to encourage them. If, if you have parents or sons or daughters, maybe their walk isn't at the point that yours is. You know, take those opportunities, grandchildren, to encourage that faith and to build that faith. What does the Bible say? Jesus said a, a, a smoking flax he wouldn't put out and a broken reed or a bruised reed he would not break. We don't need to be putting out flaxes and we don't need to be breaking reeds. We need to be encouraging. We need to be building. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for this day you've given us. Thank you for your presence in this place today. Thank you for your word, Lord. Father, we believe and we, we proclaim today that the people in this house are people of faith, Lord. But God, I ask that you would just 
Give us a desire to increase our faith, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would take the steps necessary to work on our faith, to build our faith. And I pray that you would help us to be encouragers of faith in other people, Lord God. I pray that you would help us to reach out to people, to raise them up, to lift them up, Lord God, to encourage them and to help them build their faith, Father. And I just pray that you'd bless this house, bless Pastor again in his recovery, Lord God. Bless these people's week, Lord Jesus. And we just give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.